Father, I thank you today that something good is going to happen, Lord. There is always joy in your presence, Lord. When your presence is in this place, something can happen, Lord. And I thank you that your presence is going to be evidenced by our transformation, Lord. And Father, I pray today, Lord, that everybody is going to feel the effects of the preaching of the word, Lord. We're going to walk out from this place saying to one another, did my heart not burn within me? I pray, God, that the fire of your presence will be released in this place. I pray, God, that you will touch every person in Cornerstone, Lord, who's hearing this message today, that there'll be such a powerful influence over their lives, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I release the anointing over this place, over every person. I break every stronghold. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that every inter- uh, distraction of the devil will be removed. And Lord, I bind every handphone right now in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Woo! Hallelujah. My message this morning is entitled, The Tipping Point of Fullness. And my text is 1 Kings chapter 17 in verse 1. And this is an amazing story of Elijah. And let's read this, uh, just one verse. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Don't you love that, man? This guy doesn't stand before kings and princes. He stands before the Lord God of Israel. He said, There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. In 1 Kings chapter 17, we, are, we have the story of the great prophet Elijah. And Elijah, of course, was one of the premier prophets of Israel. And this is the first time that we are reading about Elijah in the Bible. There is no, uh, any suggestion about his background or his training. When he appears before a very wicked king called Ahab, he was a fully blown prophet, fully grown prophet with a fully formed message in his life. Hallelujah. And he stands before the king and rebukes the king and then he says, at my word, it will not rain for three and a half years. Hallelujah. My friends, I tell you this, when you can stand before a, a, a pagan king and speak that, and if you have control over the weather so that when you speak a word, it doesn't rain, and when you speak a word, it does rain, and if you can call fire down from heaven, I tell you this, my friends, you got to know that the man of God is prepared for such an hour as this. And I say this because God is raising up a company of people like Elijah that are going to be able to do some of the most extraordinary things that has ever been seen in in, in humanity because I believe that the promise that Jesus gave to us in John chapter 14 and verse 12 will come to pass. This works that I do, greater works will you do. Hallelujah. Because I go to my Father. Amen. And I tell you that, how do you form a man of such caliber like Elijah? The Bible is often silent about these things, but you've got to be willing to do what these prophets do. And I, I believe that God has given me a key for this today. It is the same with John the Baptist. Of course, you know that John came in the spirit of Elijah. Not much is said of John or, or heard of John except for the fact that he grew up in the wilderness and he lived a very ascetic life, very disciplined life and very, in very harsh conditions. He ate locusts and wild honey for his diet. And finally, when he's uh, manifested to the nation of Israel. He's a fully formed prophet with a fully formed message. Hallelujah. And his message of repentance brought an entire nation to her knees, just like Elijah 800 years before. What was his training like? I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. All we know is Luke chapter 1 verse 80 says that he grew up in the deserts. Hallelujah. He grew up in the deserts. You know, I tell you this, there's something about a desert that makes a man into a prophet. Hallelujah. 
we don't have deserts in Singapore, we have a lot of desserts, hallelujah. But, that's, but there's something about being put in obscurity that makes the man of God, hallelujah. And it says that he was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Woo, I tell you, every prophet in the Bible had to go to the desert. Every prophet had to go to the wilderness for the training. Jesus himself described John as a burning lamb. And when the wind caught the flame of God in his heart, man, there was no stopping him. Remember one time the angel of the Lord came to his father, Zacharias, and he says, you're going to have a son, and your son's going to be great in the eyes of God. I tell you what, it's one thing to be great in the eyes of men. That makes no difference. It's another thing to be great in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. Come on. It's important that, and, and, and the, the choice is yours. What do you want in life? Do you want to be great in the eyes of men, or do you want to be great in the eyes of God? Hallelujah. And if you want to be great in the eyes of God, then you must do what all the prophets in the Old Testament were prepared to do. Go to the wilderness. Go to the wilderness and stay hidden until God manifests you to this world. The Apostle Paul is a yardstick of measurement for us as New Testament believers. Did you know that when he got saved, the Bible says that he went to the Arabian desert and for three years disappeared into obscurity and locked himself in with God because that's how you raise a man of Paul's caliber. Moses spent 40 years of his life in the wilderness, out of sight, out of mind, and totally forgotten by everyone. And then, bam, he meets God at the burning bush, and everything changes. Hallelujah. You know, for 40 years of his life, he thought he was a somebody. And then the next 40 years of his life, discovered he was a nobody. And the last 40 years of his life, he discovered that God could take a nobody and make him into a somebody. Come on. And it's the same with Jesus, you know. The last we hear of Jesus in his boyhood was the age 12, when he was in the temple in Jerusalem, and he was debating with the religious leaders and scholars of his day. At 12, he had, was full of the wisdom of God. Then he goes into obscurity and in the next 18 years grew up in a, in a, in a desert city called, a town rather than a city called Nazareth. And it was so obscure that the saying in those days was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus, when he first appears in his, his uh, manifestation, is at the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. And my spiritual mentor, our brother Bailey, said to me one time, he said, I had a vision of this wonderful event that happened. He said, I saw Jesus. And you've got to remember that Jesus was about six months younger than John the Baptist. They were cousins, but they were almost the same age. He said, I saw Jesus go down into the waters of baptism. And at that moment, he said, John lifted up his head and their eyes met for the very first time. And he said, when John saw Jesus, his face, he said, in the vision was filled with so much amazement because he was looking at someone who was perfect. Hallelujah. He was looking at perfection. And you must remember, they were six months apart. And John was the greatest of all men born of women. There was nobody like John the Baptist. And yet, when he looked at Jesus, he was full of amazement because of the advancement that Jesus, Jesus was so far advanced than him in his spiritual development. And he, the best way that Brother Bailey could describe it was, he said he, it was like an accomplished chef looking up at a master chef. Hallelujah. Woo! And I love Jesus. I tell you this, we will worship him for eternity because there's so many wonderful things that he, about the, our Lord Jesus Christ as a man came to perfection at the age of 30. So Jesus at the age of 12 was very different from Jesus at the age of 30. At 12, he had wisdom, but at 30, he had wisdom, authority, and stature. And how do you get stature? It's when you go into the wilderness, man. 
It's when you, it's taken me, I mean, to all these years of, of development uh, to grow, to, the, to be where I am, but I've got a long way to go. I'm just touched the fringes of his ways, amen? And I believe that if we will plug into God, that something is going to happen in our lives. Now, the whole concept of fullness is replete throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, the word fullness, pleroma, appears about 17 times. It doesn't just mean to be filled to the brim. It means to be overflowing. Okay, that's the Hebrew concept of the word. A baby is born when full term is reached, right? A cloud, is when it's, when it's full of rain, it empties itself on the earth. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, woo, there came a sound of a, from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. In the fullness of time, the Bible says God sent forth His Son. In the parable of the dragnet in Matthew chapter 13, when the nets are full, it is holden. When the number of Gentiles have come to a fullness, then and only then will all of Israel be safe. And when sin reaches a fullness, yes, there is judgment. It's inevitable. But ladies and gentlemen, I tell you this, man, today, when a man or a woman of God is full, watch out! Hallelujah! <laughs> Because there is going to be devastating effects on the kingdom of darkness. Woo! Revival, man, it's not just a church full of people. We've got that. It's a people full of God. Hallelujah. And this is where I'm, I'm believing the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about. He says, I want to see revival in this nation. It's your responsibility. And we are going to have revival in this nation. Trust me, my friends. We are going to have revival in this nation. It's going to be one of the places that God has chosen for revival. With all my heart, it's Cornerstone. And we are going to press in for revival because I tell you this, revival is when we come to a place of fullness in God. Hallelujah. You know, the cycle of nature is something for us to consider. Because everything, when it comes to its fullness, produces fruit, all right? Mark chapter 4 and verse uh, 28 says, For the earth yields crops of itself, first the blade, right? Then the head, then the full grain of the head. And then when the grain ripens, immediately the farmer puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So it goes through the cycle of life, right? Conception, birth, growth, and then a, a, a fullness, bam, the release. Then the release comes, right? So we must be patient because it's a process. But the trouble with us is most of us don't have the discipline, man. Most of us don't have the, the, uh, the, uh, the restraint in our lives. And before we are even prepared, man, we want to just right, go, go straight up from the starting blocks, you know. I tell you, some people are sent. Others just took a microphone and went. <laughs> Amen. And we often contain, uh, content to be the blade when we can be the full grain in the head. Now, you know the principle. I, I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. The principle of 34, 64, and 104, right? And uh, Christians are always content with the little, barest minimum. It's like the rich young ruler. When he came to Jesus, his question was, Good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? That was his question. And then Jesus brings him to this place of perfection. He says, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the rich man was very sad, but he was very upset. Why? Because he said, who, who wants to be perfect? I just want to know how to get to heaven, man. And so a lot of Christians like that, you know. Just tell me what is the barest, how do I get to heaven? How do I scrape into heaven? You don't want to scrape into heaven. You want to have a reward waiting for you in heaven. Hallelujah. And too many Christians, they just want to, if I get to heaven, man, I'll be happy. Come on. 
God expects better things from you guys. All right? Don't stop at 34. And 34 is wonderful. But don't stop there, man. There's a 64 blessing and there's also a hundredfold. And God has put this in my spirit this year. He said, you can go for the hundredfold if you're willing to let me do all that is in, in my heart for your life. Come on. He has the highest aspirations for us. And the highest aspirations is always a hundredfold. Amen. Amen. So God has put within us this amazing built-in ability for outrageous fruit bearing. Woo! I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's inbuilt within us, right? Now, John chapter 1 and verse 16 says, Of the fullness we have all received, of His fullness, I'm so sorry, from grace for grace. Now, the whole premise of my message today is this, right? Very simple premise. What you don't have, you can't give. What you have, you can give. Amen? And it's only out of fullness you can give. In other words, it's only when you're overflowing, that's when people around you catch the afterglow and the overflow of the Spirit in your life. But if you're not overflowing, you can't touch people. Then that's why sometimes when we pray for the sick, you know, you've got no faith in you to believe for the healing because you're running on empty. There's no fullness in you. There's no faith in you. Hallelujah. You know, and we all believe in the head here, but somewhere, somehow, it has to drop 12 inches to the heart, man. No, maybe eight inches. My stomach was a bit too. Uh. Eight inches to the heart because that's where faith is released. Hallelujah. And you've got to bypass the mind. And, and I, I think too many of us, we, we're running on empty. It's like a, a car, you know, and the, the dashboard is saying, uh, signaling no, no, no patrol, no patrol. But you refuse to go for a top up. You refuse to stop at the patrol station. And it's dangerous if you don't take heed to the warning signals that appear on the dashboards of your life. It's really important, amen. That you, that you are full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to pray for you before the service is over. Now, one of my role models in the Bible is Stephen. And Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Stephen, full of faith and power, come on, full of faith and power, did great signs and wonders among the people. We don't know very much about this man or his background. You know, the Bible is often very silent about the training of his servants because when God really wants to train you, he takes you into obscurity and he doesn't tell people how he trains you. Because the training is very different from individual to individual. And uh, we don't know much about his training, but obviously he was a man of God because he was chosen by the early church to be one of the seven deacons to serve tables. But I tell you what, Stephen was not contented with just serving tables. He must have been a faithful deacon. But he went on from being a deacon to, to having full of faith and power. And the Bible says that he did great signs and wonders. Come on, you can be a Stephen or you can just be a deacon. It's up to you. And a lot of people are serving here and you're serving and you're ushering and you're cleaning and you're doing all these things. And that's wonderful. I want to encourage you to do that. But don't stop at ushering. Come on, you can be an usher and be full of faith and power. Good preaching, Pastor. Come on. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be a deacon or you can be a Stephen. It's up to you, man. But I tell you this. How did Stephen do all those signs and wonders? It's because it's in the narrative. He was full of the Holy Ghost and full of power. He was plugged into the power source of heaven, not just the 220 volts, man. And when you're full of God, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, it overflows, man. People are just going to drink from the overflow of your life. But he didn't stop there. Look at chapter 7 and verse 55 in full, being full of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was given the highest medal of honor. Did you know that when he was, he's the first Christian that was martyred in the church and when he died, when he was being stoned, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, stands up and says, I'm so proud of this man. 
he's, 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 he's going to receive the highest medal of honor from heaven, hallelujah, and it will be an honor he will carry for all of eternity. Woo! Come on. And he started out as a, as a deacon. Come on, man. I, it gives me great faith, all right? The best description of Stephen, he was full. He was full. Acts chapter 11 and verse 4, we read about another man. His name was Barnabas, the son of consolation. It says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Look at the cause and effect. Why were people added to the Lord? Because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. These men weren't 50% full. They weren't 75% full. They were full to overflowing. Come on. My friends, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you here today. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the church in Ephesus what the will of God is. He says, I want you guys to understand what the will of God is. And what is the will of God? How did he explain it? He says, this is the will of God, that you be filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo! Hallelujah. Come on. That you be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did he say? He says, speaking, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. You know, it's interesting that when Paul was talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he uses wine as, a, as an example. Why? Because sometimes there's the same effects, hallelujah. When you're filled with the new wine of the Holy Ghost, you sometimes feel a little tipsy. Woo! So nice, hallelujah. It's just the, the wonderful effervescence of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, it's a big difference because many of you, some of you, when you wake up in the morning, you get up with a spring on your step and you say, Good morning, Lord. Do you wake up like that? And some of you wake up in the morning and says, good Lord, it's morning. Hallelujah. It all depends on what you've been drinking. It all depends on what you... If you've been drinking into the Holy Ghost, you're going to wake up with a spring in your step. Hallelujah. Amen. What is the will of God? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, man. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? It says, sing to yourself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Come on, this morning I was singing with my guitar at 4.45 in the morning. Hallelujah. Making melody and disturbing all my neighbors. Hallelujah. Woo. Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing in the Spirit. Hallelujah. If you play an instrument, get it and play and start playing. You say, Pastor, I croak like a frog. It doesn't matter. In God's ears, it sounds good. It sounds good. God has this filter, you know. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. I heard a story when I was a young Christian. I never forgot the story of a young worship leader. And he was, he, he, he just couldn't, he just croaked and, you know, he, he didn't, uh, he was not a good singer at all. And a member of the church was looking and kind of criticizing him in his heart. And the Holy Spirit said, you know, I had to stop all the choirs of heaven just to hear this man sing. So he's so precious to me. Hallelujah. Amen. And you know, sometimes when we sing from our heart, the one who is the, the least, hallelujah, and he, we find the grace to sing to the Lord. Sometimes he will hush the entire choirs of heaven and says, my son, sing to me. Amen. Come on, hallelujah, amen. Woo, hallelujah, yeah. Now there are several concepts of fullness, and I'm going to land the plane here, all right? Uh, but it's a long landing strip. <laughs> the first, uh, the most important is our stature as sons, right? And Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us a pinhole to the grand apostolic vision for the church of Jesus Christ, right? And he says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. That is doctrine. And it's really important in Cornerstone that we all believe the right things, amen? 
that we all believe the same things and we all believe the right things because truth is important. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. Hallelujah. And then to a perfect man, which means complete and mature, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature of, of Christ is the yardstick of measurement. Jesus is the fullness of God. Amen. Uh, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We must never measure ourselves with anybody else. That's a stupid thing to do. Why? Because I'm always going to find people I'm better. And I'm always going to find people who are better than me. Okay? So the Bible says don't compare yourselves with one another. He says the only one yardstick of measurement is to compare yourself with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is the yardstick and then we're measured on the day of judgment when you stand before God. And I just want to remind you again, the two most important days in your life is when you get born again and when you stand before Him to give an account of your life to Him. And so we must prepare ourselves. All my life is to be prepared for that one moment when I stand before Him on the day of judgment because He's going to measure me uh, how much I attain to the stature of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be 50% full or 75% full. I want to be 100% full. Amen. And that's how we're going to be measured. The second concept of the fullness is the fullness of sin. And in James chapter 1, let me read this to you because this is really important. In verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Watch this. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You know, I think the Lord's Prayer, that little portion where it says, Lead me not into temptation, is probably a wrong rendering of the intent of God in that prayer. I think the better translation is, uh, lead, let me not fall into temptation, right? Because we, we have desires that entice us, right? And then it says, when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Now, oftentimes, people, you know, dabble with sin, and we've all done that. We dabble with sin, we don't get caught. We dabble with it more, we don't get caught. We dabble with it more, we don't get caught, and then we come to a conclusion, hey, God is overlooking all my transgressions. He's looking, uh, overlooking all my behavior. Do not be mocked. God is not, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He's not mocked. And there is a line, my friends. You be very careful that you don't cross that line because that's when sin becomes fullness and when fullness comes, then judgment is an in inevitable thing. Why do you think that some Christians die prematurely? Why do you think so? It's because sin came to a fullness without any repentance. Without any repentance. But if there's repentance, God can change something in your life. And that's why Nineveh, my wife mentioned Nineveh in the first uh, service, and it's important. Because Nineveh was at the cusp of judgment. God says, I am going to wipe out the city. It's a huge city, right? Jonah took three days to walk the length and breadth of the city. It was a very large city. And here is Nineveh, and, and in the eyes of God, they were ripe for judgment. And judgment was about to be released on the city. And God says, I'm going to give them one last chance. Sends a prophet there called Jonah, a very reluctant prophet. He goes and he preaches and he says, in 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. The king hears the message. And from the king all the way down to the animals, they all dressed up in sackcloth, humbled themselves and repented before God. And God extended the city for another 150 years. Did you know that? Because they repented. Come on. Thank God for the gift of repentance. Thank God that He gives to us the very gift itself to repent. Amen. And you know God is very just. He doesn't judge prematurely. Right throughout the Bible, He waits for sin to come to a fullness because He's long-suffering. He's patient. But listen to this. 
let the wicked man forsake his ways and let the unrighteous man uh, turn from his thoughts, right? Uh, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. What does it mean? It means God limits a day, right? Seek him while he can be found because there might be a time he can't be found. Call upon him while he is near because there might be a time he will not be here to, near to hear. And that's why when you're preaching the gospel and when you see conviction on the faces of people, that's when the, you need to pull in the nets. That's when you need to reel in the line. Why? Because that moment, grace comes upon a person to repent. And I've seen this happen again. again. A guy is under great conviction of sin and he says, no, I don't think I'm going to go down to the altar. I don't think I want to, I, I'm, I'm going to repent. And you know that man will... And there's no guarantee that he'll ever, ever come to this place of repentance ever again in his life. So right now, as you're sitting down, if you're not a believer, if you're a pre-believer, if, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but there's something that's happening in your heart, and you know God is speaking to you, man, don't walk away from this. Today, if you hear His voice, today, open your heart to Him. Amen. The next thing is something called the fullness of time and and because of time, I can't go into this. <laughs> Galatians 4 and verse 4 talks about the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. But you read the life of Jesus on the earth. It was amazing. His life was so choreographed, right? He was, he was living in perfection. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, you, it was just absolutely amazing. His life, He was, never, he was uh, never rushed. He was never impatient. He was never flustered. And He was never late. Amen. And there's a little phrase that says in this, again and again in the life of Jesus, my time has not yet come. When he was in Nazareth and he preached in the synagogues, they wanted to kill Jesus. There was a spirit of murder and they tried to take him and throw him off the cliff. But Jesus walked right through them. Why? Why? Because my time has not yet come. He was in the temple preaching. They tried to arrest him. They could not. Why? Because my time has not yet come. They wanted to stone him when he said he was the son of God. They could not do it. Why? Because my time has not yet come. And then in John chapter 12, he says to his disciples, my time has now come for me to give my life. Hallelujah. So you got to walk in the, the awareness of the timing of God uh, for your life. Why is this important? Because accidents do happen. You can be in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. And so why people get terrified in an aeroplane when there's a turbulence, you know. They go down on their knees, Lord, I'm not ready to die. Please don't let this plane crash, you know. Uh, because they're not ready to meet God. What's the solution? Repent! And get right with God. Amen. Number four, there's something called the fullness of time. I will just say that God has a full number of Gentiles to be saved according to Romans chapter 11. There's a full number. And once the number is reached, the number of the elect is reached, then the doors to the Gentiles are closed, and then all Israel shall be saved. Hallelujah! Woo! All Israel shall be saved. This week I did a filming for the uh, ECI, the European Co Coalition for Israel. And it's, it's for the Holocaust um, um, uh, Memorial Day on the 27th of January. They're going to screen it worldwide. And they want a representation from, Israel, from Asia. So they said, Pastor, can you represent Asia? Wow, Asia, man, that's, that's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury will be there. Uh, Os Guinness uh, will be in the, in the video and quite a few different people. So I'm, I'm just honored uh, to be asked to, to be part of that whole process. I just want to say I feel like God's giving us a lot of favor right now in this season uh, of, of the church. And... And we, we must step up the plate. Amen. The, God's up the ante, and I believe He wants Cornerstone to be a prophetic church, not a pathetic church. Amen. Amen. To be a voice in this nation. Come on. Amen. He promised me. He said, I will make you a voice in this nation one day. 
but um, it's taken longer than I expected. <laughs> We're getting there. Hallelujah. Amen. And finally, the concept of, of fatherhood, all right? Abraham is our role model because he was someone who reached uh, the pinnacle of maturity. Hallelujah. Pinnacle of maturity. That's Abraham, right? The father of our faith. Now, in the Bible, there are four categories of Christians, okay? If you're a believer, you're in one of these categories. You're either a babe, a young, a little, child, little child or little children, young men, or you're a father. You're either in one of these categories, right? Now, if you're a newborn believer, you're a babe, and a babe is someone who feeds on milk. He's not weaned from uh, milk. Uh, you know, we just take solid, we just learn, we, we don't know how to take solid food, all right? The second stage of, 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 of Christianity is little children. And this is 1 John chapter 2 and verses 12 to 14. The Apostle John, speaking of little children, says, Little children, you know the Father. You know the Father. But the children know the Father, you know, in, in a very selfish way. I want, I need, right? But the fathers, they know the Father in a different way. They, although they know the Father, they, they don't say, Papa, I want. Papa, I need. It, Papa, I want to do your will. Papa, let thy will be done. Amen. Papa, I need to be about your business. Amen. They think differently from little children. Okay? But little children are those who, are, who have their sins forgiven, but they're struggling with the old nature. They're struggling with the carnality in their lives and they've not had the victory. And they are Romans chapter 7 Christians. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I don't know how many people in this room identify with that. You're struggling with the old nature, but you know you have Jesus in you. You know you have the new nature in you. You just have not overcome the old nature yet. And you're struggling in your sin. You're struggling in your carnality. You're a little child. But you are saved. And you're in the kingdom. But don't stop there, man. The next stage is young men. Who are the young men? They've overcome the devil. Amen. They're strong. The word of God dwells with them, in them. That's why they overcome the devil, because the word of God. And they have moved from Romans 7 to Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And they are strong. Hallelujah. And I tell you, a church full of strong young men is a formidable church. Hallelujah. But there's something even greater than a young man. It's a position of a father. There's something greater than a church full of young men. It's a church full of fathers. Because the father is the pinnacle of maturity. It's to become like the father himself. And I want to encourage you, my friends, to shoot for this man. Don't stop at being a babe or a young a child or a young man. Grow up into fatherhood, hallelujah, because there's tremendous power in a father. And the example, of course, is Abraham. And you know Abraham had three wives. He had uh, Sarah from where he had Isaac. He had uh, Hagar that was, then Ishmael was born and Ishmael became a mighty nation, by the way. And then he had Keturah and had many children and every single one of those children became a nation. That is the power of a true father. A father just doesn't just produce children, he produces nations. And if I'm a true father, then every single one of you has a potential here in Cornerstone to be a church planter, to start a new ministry, to start a new organization, to start something new. And this is what we're believing God for because I want to, we want to present, the leadership wants to present before Jesus, sons and daughters, hallelujah, mature ministries, amen. And I tell you, there are people here today, God has birthed within you churches, hallelujah. God has put within you a vision to start new churches, new things, and you've got to be, you've got to be ready to be, to be sent out when the time comes, amen. And I want to close uh, by, by saying that in the house of the Lord, there are many 
wonderful treasures. There are treasures of gold and silver, uh, also treasures of uh, wood, hay, and stubble. But I'm just telling you this, right? That there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There are vessels that God drinks from, and there are vessels that He washes His hands in, whatever it. But I tell you this, you can be a vessel of honor if you choose to. And say, God, if you purge me from the things of this world, and purge me from the, the love of this world, then you can fill me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. I want to be a vessel of honor. Amen? I want to be a vessel of honor. Let's all stand in the presence of God because my whole purpose of this ministry is to bring you to this one moment where I can pray for you. Hallelujah. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 4, the disciples were in an upper room. They were threatened by the authorities not to preach any longer the name of Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. I tell you this, man. God, think about this, right? Think about this. They were not threat. Nobody threatened them to do signs and wonders. They were not told, "Don't stop doing, stop doing your signs and wonders." Nobody told them to do that. They were not threatened by their gatherings. You know what they were threatened? They said, "You cannot speak his name." That's something powerful. I, I'm a passionate believer in the power of communication. And what armies and governments could not do to stop great wars, a man with a microphone could stop wars. Something uh, noble about and passionate about this, this gift of communication, because by it we cross-pollinate. When they put a man in prison and they really want to punish him, they put him in solitary confinement. Why? Because they, they neuter his ability to communicate and express himself, which is the worst thing that can happen, happen to a human being. Why? Because when God created us, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And I don't think that it just has to do with the realm of procreation and multiplication. I think it has to do with communication. The ability of a noble soul to, to speak and to communicate what's in his heart is a wonderful thing that God created us for. We speak for someone, we speak to someone, and we can speak with someone. Hallelujah. And I want to close today because I think too many of us are cluttered with too many things, with too much of the world, and too distracted. I've thought about this, you know, at 61, I think about this all the time. If I was 30, what would I have done differently? What would I have done differently? If I could live my life all over again, would I, could, would I do the same things? How would I live my life? And you know, with all that I know today, I'm telling you this, seclusion and the desert ministry is, is something that I'm, I'm so desiring God for. I, the reason I like to go back to the Bible College of Wales, I have no distraction there. There's no television there. There's nothing there to distract me. It's just like you've got to lock yourself in with God, man. Hallelujah. And I tell you, it's those moments when you're locked in with God, when you've got nothing going for you. And in the wilderness, that's where God makes all the mighty men. In the wilderness, there are no malls there, man. There's no Netflix in the wilderness. There's no television in the wilderness. There's no cable in the wilderness. There's no entertainment in the wilderness. And there's no one to strut your reputation. There's no one to boast to. It's you and God alone. That's what the wilderness is. It's, it's obscurity. It's when God takes you and you're, you, you're an arrow and you're ready to, to do the will of God. And God takes you and He puts you in His quiver. You know where they keep all the, the arrows? And He puts you there. And the worst thing about being an arrow in a quiver is when you see all the other arrows being shot out. And you say, God, where is my turn? And God says, just be patient and quiet. 
and you wait for me. And sometimes it can be a long process, man. Many years. For Joseph, at the age of 28, he was ready. He was in the prison. He said to the butler, he said, remember me. He said, remember me before the king. And for two years, the butler forgot about Joseph. And for two years, he waited. He was an arrow that was ready to be shot out. But God took him and put him in the quiver. And for the next two years of his life, he sat in the prison every day saying, God, I don't understand this. I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord, for whatever you have for me. I'm ready, Lord. And God says, you be patient. You be patient. And that's the most difficult thing in life. To be put in obscurity. To be forgotten by everyone. To be put in the quiver of the Lord. Woo, my friends. That's where the man of God is made. I, I would think, I, I, I've said to the Lord many times, Lord, how do I get back into the desert? All the prophets of old were formed in the desert. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. They grew up in the desert. That's where God makes a mighty man out of you. Father, I, I come before you today, Lord. And I just plead with my brothers and sisters here in Cornerstone. Many of us are so bogged down with so much distraction in our lives, Lord. We are so filled with the things of the world. How can God fill us until He first empties us, Lord? How can God fill us with the Holy Spirit until He removes the things that have filled our hearts? Entertainment and pleasure and self-indulgence and uh, overeating and uh, over-drinking. Uh, over whatever we do in, in, in beyond moderation, Lord. How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? So I pray, God, that you'll speak to every person hearing this message today, Lord, that they will empty themselves and bring them, they come to a place where they will allow the Holy Ghost to empty them, Lord, so that they can be a cup ready to be filled to the full. I want to be like Stephen, Lord. We want to be like Barnabas, Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power. I want you to raise your hands because in the next few moments, I'm going to pray that God would fill us. I want you to give, I want to give you an assignment. And this is the assignment. Every day in your devotion, Find a minute where you can say to the Lord, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with power. Fill me with faith. Fill me with wisdom. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your righteousness. Fill me with praise. <coughs> fill me, Lord. Not 50%, not 75%. Overflowing, overflowing. Amen. I want to pray for you that God would fill you. Man, I am so hungry today. I want more of God. I want God to fill me, man. The whole of yesterday, today, I've been saying, God, fill me, Lord. Fill me, fill me, Lord. Fill me to the overflowing. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Lord. Come on, lift up your hands. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, for this congregation today that you will fill them with the Holy Spirit. You will fill them with power. How are we ever going to have faith, Lord, to pray for the sick, cast out devils, and even raise the dead, Lord, if we don't have faith in us, Lord? Fill us with faith. Fill us with power. Fill us with fullness, Lord. I want to be full, Lord. I don't want to leak any longer. I want to be full and overflowing because out of my fullness, others can receive grace from grace. Hallelujah.
So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, come on, just for about a minute, right? Just pray in the Spirit. And as the Holy Ghost right now, pray, fill me, Lord, fill me. Come on, pray like I pray. Hallelujah, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with power, Lord. Fill me with yourself, Lord. Fill me with thoughts of holiness, Lord. Fill me with you, Lord. Fill me. Come on, you got to let God fill you. If you're a 20, 20 cc container, ask Him, enlarge me, Lord. If you're a 2,000 cc container, ask Him, Lord, enlarge me. There is more, Lord. There is more. Hallelujah. You know, the, the most um, unsatisfying thing about standing here right now is that I can't call you to come up to the front. Is that I can't call you to come to the altar and I can't lay my hands and pray for you because I believe that there would be a transaction in the spirit. But you know, God is not limited by the safe distancing barrier. Wherever you are right now, God can fill you. Hallelujah. It is desire. It is desire. It is desire. God responds to our desire. Woo! Hallelujah, shakarababa. So God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will fill us, fill us, fill us to overflowing, God. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I want to be full. I don't want to run an empty, Lord. I want to be full, 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 full. Fill them, Lord. Fill them, fill them. Fill your people. Fill your saints, Lord. just listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.